friends, countrymen, Ontarians. How are you? Welcome to episode three of the Wild Ontario podcast. Today we're talking with Jeff Dickey, who is a invasive species tech technician with one of the conservation authorities here in Southern Ontario. He was trained as a forest technician, trained as an arborist. Fascinating conversation about oak wilt. If you love oak trees in Ontario, you have to watch this. There's over 400 different species, many wildlife species that rely on oak trees, and all of them are under threat from a fatal fungus called oak wilt. This is a very important podcast. Please listen to it and share it to everyone who cares about oak trees in this province, who cares about wildlife. So many wild critters rely on those, especially the acorns that the oak trees deposit in our great forests uh, here in Ontario. If you want to support the Wild Ontario podcast, please do so, wildontario.com, sorry, patreon.com slash wildontario. And uh, for just a small donation a month, you can help the production of all this uh, content that we're pumping out. And check us out on Instagram and TikTok. I give you episode three of the Wild Ontario podcast. Well, thank you so much, good sir. Mr. Jeff Dickey, Uh, we're here to talk about trees in Ontario and you were highly recommended to me by uh somebody on Instagram so uh I'm looking forward to uh chatting it up good sir first of all wh- okay. where are you located in Ontario uh, I'm in Hamilton um uh, but I've kind of been all over the place the past couple of years pretty much so mostly GTA but uh yeah pretty much like Halton Hamilton area so yeah gotcha and what is your official title like do you work with a certain organization are you like an independent uh, forest tech and art ar- arborist or how does it how does it work uh i used to work in private industry for pretty close to 15 years or so and now i work mostly with conservation authorities so i was a forest tech for, by schooling arborist by training and now i'm in invasive species tech with uh conservation authority so invasive so. species specifically oh my god yeah so this year has been pretty exciting for uh <laughs> We had Hemlock Willie Adelgade show up in about March and April in the Hamilton area. And then we've had Oakwell just kind of start to blow up, which a lot of us did not expect that to happen anytime soon. So that's been a pretty huge like surprise for a lot of people kind of in this uh, field. So we kind of expected most of it to be coming from the Michigan area because that's where we're like the worst outbreaks are. But that's why we're blown away that this is happening uh, in the Niagara and already in this area actually southern ontario so that's crazy man well that's just jumping right into oakwell that that's amazing before we get into any more oakwell i have to ask ask everyone on the podcast if you had to get taken out by a predatory animal in ontario which one would it be and why Hmm. i'd probably say a cougar just because it's a pretty rare (laughs) Rare sighting for one. <laughs> I haven't really thought about it too much, but uh, yeah, I'd probably say a cougar or one of the big cats, a uh, lynx or something, something cool like that, I guess. God, yeah. and so for like the cool <laughs> after story for like your kids to tell at parties and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got it. I love it. In all likelihood, it will probably be a tree or me falling into a crevice or something, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's wild. So. Okay. Yeah. You jumped right into it, my friend. Oak wilt. I mean, my favorite, I think a lot of people, if you ask them, you know, what's your favorite tree in Ontario? I think a lot of people would say oak trees. I mean, they're just, they're just so freaking cool. And the acorns for me personally, I love them because, you know, I'm a hunter and a fisherman and so many critters in the forest I know rely on acorns, right? They're such a wonderful source of, of, uh, of, you know, high in carb fats and, and protein. Uh, my favorite oak personally is the bur oak. Do you have a favorite 
tree? Uh, um, I would probably say tulip tree, just because that's kind of what I grew up seeing in like Carolinian zone and stuff like that. Tulip or American chestnut, they're really cool, like iconic looking trees. Um, very indicative of Carolinian forest, which is kind of like my, my jam. <laughs> right so, on, man. Yeah, Carolinian yeah. forest is so cool. There's so many weird species down there that oh. you just don't see anywhere else like pawpaw trees for example oh yeah yeah a lot of that stuff like there's things i've maybe seen once or twice and now like i grew up in the halton area so now that i'm back kind of settled in this area i'm seeing stuff that i've read about in books and that kind of thing that i'm running into in the wild so it's a really cool experience to see stuff like that um right in your backyard and kind of like uh under your nose all these years kind of thing before you had that eye for it. So it's a pretty cool, like eye opening experience for me. So, yeah. Absolutely, man. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, my first exposure to the Carolinian zone really was I did a planting event uh, for tall grass prairie stuff, I think with the nature conservancy in Norfolk County. Okay. Looking yeah. at your yeah. account, And I saw you had some pictures down in Norfolk County tagged down there and yeah. uh, just like looking around and being like, Whoa, I am. I'm not in Kansas anymore, man. This is not oh, the yeah. Greater Toronto area. Yeah, this is it's cool. very different. Yeah, it's very yeah. like tropical. <laughs> it is tropical. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. When I I spent so much time in Central Ontario, you know, like Georgian Bay area, and yeah. when I was down in Norfolk County in that Carolinian zone, I literally felt like these trees are taller than normal. Oh, yeah. Am I hallucinating, yeah. or is it possible that actually, like trees in that deep, you know, high quality soil, longer growing season, et cetera, et cetera, are going to be taller than trees growing on, you know, six inches of soil on top of granite rock in Georgia? Yeah, def definitely that access to nutrients and things like that. Like you could have a tree, like for example, in Georgian Bay or Algonquin Park, that could be like a gnarled cedar. It could be like twelve thousand years old, but it's no taller than you, right? Because they're in such uh, like inhospitable conditions and stuff like that. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever been to, you ever been to the Eagle's Nest in Bancroft by chance? No, 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 no. Is that a bar or is that a uh, geographic feature? It's like, a, it's like a lookout point that looks over like a Tim Hortons in Bancroft. <laughs> it's nothing that, nothing spectacular, but some of the trees that are there are probably fairly old. And same with, um, if you've ever heard of Rattlesnake Point in Milton, um, yes. there's in Tobamori as well. There's lots of trees there that are like, the size of probably us standing up that are about 12,000 or sorry, 1200 years old and things like that. So it's because they've able to persist in such conditions like that. But when you go to places with like full nutrients and everything like that, trees can definitely get bigger, wider, meaner, <laughs> all of the, all of the above. <laughs> meaner. Oh my yeah. God. Wow. I I say, I say the meaner because I was in Peely Island recently and the thorns and some of the locusts are just insane. Like I've never seen anything like it. You'd think it's like something out of the Serengeti or something like that. So, yeah. No way. That's wild, man. Holy cow. Well, that that's really interesting. So if you took, say, like a white pine in Tomogamy versus a white pine, I'm not sure, even sure if white pines grow down in Norfolk County, like on the North Shore of Lake Erie there. But yeah, if a little, a little bit? Would, yeah, would yeah, a little bit, yeah the white pine be able to get just taller max height down there on in Norfolk County? If let's say the ideal conditions were met, probably the only thing is you do get a lot of like the, the, the influence of the great lakes is such a anomaly in itself that like <laughs> anything down there can change the like phenology of trees. Um, but yeah, I, I would, 
probably say it's, if it were to get more nutrients and that kind of thing, it would probably do well, but it would just be acclimatization in that. But for example's sake, I'd say, yeah, it would probably get bigger. <laughs> Got so, it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, you already got a little bit into the oak wilt. And I thought it was very interesting to, to hear you say that one of your two favorite trees is the American chestnut. Because one of the things when I saw this news article in the Ontario Out of Doors magazine, which is a hunting and fishing magazine, right? They said Oak Wilt was discovered in Niagara region. And uh, I was like, the first thing I thought of was the American chestnuts. Like, is the Oak Wilt, this disease, does it have the potential to do what happened to the American chestnuts, which is basically complete extermination? Like, how worried should we be about Oak Wilt? Um, like you were saying, all the stuff that depends on it is probably the biggest, um, I'm trying to think of like, uh, the proper wording for this, but the, the life forms that it supports like scaffold of biodiversity, like for example, there's about 450 types of caterpillars that are supported by oak leaves and that kind of thing. So the sort of ecological importance and like fallout from it, we probably won't see for a long time, but when we do, it's going to be pretty deadly. Um, the other thing too is with American chestnut, we weren't really at the sort of technological sort of era that we are now. So it wasn't as evident. Uh, I mean, there still are American chestnuts. I've seen plenty of them in the wild here and there, but with Oak wilt, it's, it's hard to say at this point, but I've seen in Michigan is where it's really decimated a lot of areas, especially in areas with like residential and like where a lot of that interface between sort of infrastructure and stuff like that happens. So I think it's going to be really bad, but in isolated pockets, um, sort of where American chestnut sort of wiped out a lot of forests, like the damage it did to the forest has been irreplaceable, but with Oak World, I think it's going to be, a different ball game. Um, I kind of put it on the level of uh, Dutch elm disease, where A, it's a similar fungus that just clogs conductive tissue, and B, it's like a stately tree. You know, it's something a lot of people have in their front yard and that kind of thing, but it also is a wild tree as well. So it's kind of hard at this stage in the game to gauge how destructive it's going to be, but we all know it's probably not going to be good. <laughs> so... Interesting. Now, I mean, the fact that it's been in this article in Ontario Out of Doors, it said that it's been around for 100 years already. So yep. is that a good thing? The fact that it has been around 100 years, and even if it's be, you know hitting hard in New York State or Michigan, mm -hmm. the oak trees are still going on there, yeah. right? Yeah. It's or, not going to be like a complete... I don't think it's going to be a complete wipeout, because, I mean, I look around like areas that I go to, and I see a lot of four-stemmed oak that was logged about a hundred years ago. So there is the possibility of it. It's just this state, this early stage in it is a very, very awkward place. <laughs> if you know what I mean? Like we're not sure how, how the spread and how the impact of some of these vectors are going to go. So it's hard to gauge, but the fact that we've only found a handful right now so far is good. <laughs> it's the other stuff I'm seeing out there that I'm, kind of scared chillest about <laughs> interesting so you are man this conversation is going very different than i thought because i thought you were going to be like yeah there's one case in niagara we don't have a lot to worry about you know like this is not what yeah. i was expecting uh so, so oh sorry continue. 
No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So the problem with it is that's a why anybody who wants to talk to me about this, I jump on <laughs> is there's a lot of lookalikes that can be confused that even I look at that. I'm kind of like, this looks like it. Uh, so for me, if I see anything weird, I see anything out of the ordinary, I'm immediately GPS and taking pictures of those trees. Uh, I've come across a few so far that have concerned me quite a bit. We've had to call the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, but because you can't be sure because of the time frames that exist in it, that's that's going to be the biggest problem, I think, is everyone's going to kind of cry wolf to a certain degree, and then we're going to be missing stuff that we should be sort of picking up on. So, yeah. Uh, like I said, I don't, I don't think we'll see anything for a couple years at least before it gets like really picks up. But at this stage in the game, it's, <laughs> it's worrying no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And I also read in this article that it said that it affects the white Oak family different than the red Oak, right? Could you maybe tell folks like what's the, the general difference between the white, white Oaks and red Oaks and uh, you know, what, how, how is that? Like, how does it, how does the disease manifest itself in those two arms of the Oak family? Uh, so white oaks have a different sort of, um, how can I explain it? It's called something called tulsis. So it's able to resist it to a certain degree. And it, um, it's sort of like, uh, it will affect like one branch and it will slow down the process. So like you might have one branch die off and then a few more, whereas red oaks, it will be pretty much, you'll see some dull coloring and then by about let's say August, it will be completely defoliated. And then you have these like pressure pads that form of the actual like fruiting body of the fungus that's kind of moved its way through the tree. Um, and those will develop usually about a year after a tree has died from oak wilt. So the first year you have like your, your nice oak and then you see some defoliation happen from like the top down. And then the second year you'll have these like um, cracks in the bark that will burst open and you'll have these fungal like bodies that are about like six to eight inches or so. They, to be honest, they look like a weird brain of sorts and they emit a smell that smells like juicy fruit, which, or like apple cider vinegar. So I walked into a forest in Michigan once and you could smell it just in the air this time of year. So it was a really weird experience it looks like um it looks like the slime kind of you get uh as a kid and like those 25 cent gumball machines kind of thing like it's a very weird um thing it's disgusting to look at <laughs> but um yeah it's it because of the cycles that it works and because of the vectors that spread it so uh let's say for example you have recently pruned a tree and there's something called netatulid beetles that are a, a method of transport, like a, a vector for it. They'll go from tree to tree feeding on sap and that kind of thing. Or trees can have it, uh, however source they got it, if their roots are in connect or interconnected, they can also give it to each other like that. So that's where it's concerning with the spread of it, like what's going to happen now with that kind of thing. So in the stages of it, like when I talk about it, I want to make sure people can see visually kind of what it might look like. Like if you'd like, I can actually send you some pictures if you'd like to use them for a post and that kind of thing. Like That would be fantastic, man. I don't even know. Is, is it possible to share your screen? I don't know if that's too, too much. Uh, I just got back from vacation. So okay. I'm 
<laughs> but um, I can for sure send you some other info and stuff like that after this call and some yeah. photos. That, as long as I'm credited, you can use however you want. Like that would be that would be great, man. Those that that's that's a horrific uh, description of what this fungus uh, sounds yeah. smells and uh, sounds like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sounds. <laughs> yeah, sound and smell. Oh my god! Yeah. So, is this yeah. originally a Eurasian invasive yeah. fungus? They think it might be some kind of genetic bottleneck that came from like South America or something like that. But the origin has not quite been like we've known about it since the '40s. But they've never been able to pin down the actual like where it came from. Uh, it is in the same family as Dutch elm disease, so because it has the same like. Um, conductive tissue shutdown kind of thing which basically the basically like stepping on a hose and stuffing it with fungus kind of thing like it just shuts down all the water transport everything like that um similar issues with that but they haven't quite been able to pin where where it's come from as far as i'm aware so yeah very interesting because you're a general invasive species guy now so i mean from everything that i've heard throughout my life about invasive species in ontario it's like that that word Eurasia, it comes yeah. up a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, with like the carp and everything like that too. So yeah, there's far more like European species that have been sort of naturalized to a certain degree. I use that term loosely, um, but yeah, with a lot of that stuff, uh, with the carp and stuff like that, that's a big big component. So yeah, for sure. You know, I just to me it feel it makes sense that you know it's kind of like a lot of the same climactic zones in northern eurasia oh yeah yep. yeah emerald ashbor, yeah emerald ash borer those kind of things um yeah like all the carp and stuff like that very similar uh temperate zone and that kind of thing so it makes sense that that stuff would be here but yeah it's just it blends in quite well unfortunately <laughs> absolutely man oh my god so you're talking okay so the functionality of this fungus it's the capillaries in the tree this is toward like the water transport is that mm -hmm. like in the living layer? Is it called the Cambrium or something like that? Right around? Yeah, along, along the whole like conductive zone, basically, within the Cambrium, Phloem, and Xylem. Um, it will basically kind of attack those zones. But it's hard to gate. This is what I'm not 100% sure on. Like once it gets in, then what happens? So I've seen trees basically in the like sort of death throws and then I've seen completely dead ones, but I've never seen that awkward period <laughs> sort of in between those. So, yeah. yeah. So as it starts, like, let's say for example, in a red Oak, um, you'll see like one or two branches that have like an olivey color to the leaves. And that that's why I'm saying a lot of this is visual sort of learning, but, you'll see like one or two branches and then by like late August, you'll see the branches or the leaves start to die back and slowly die back some more. And then by about mid August, you have a completely defoliated tree. So that's probably the most common symptom that you'd see of this kind of thing. But yeah, it's, it's very difficult to pinpoint with it. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you, uh, I think our common friend, mentioned to me that she thought that there were some cases up near Barrie and that there were cases yeah. down near in the Niagara region. Is yeah. that all of the spread that you are aware of or are, are there other areas? Um, as far as I'm aware of, there's a Barrie case, which I don't, I haven't looked into too much, but everything tells me that somebody transporting wood 
um, either through live edge pieces or firewood or so, I don't know why you transport firewood from <laughs> Niagara to Barry, but uh, seems ridiculous. But um, yeah, and the other ones were from the Niagara Gorge area, as far as I know. There's been three cases, confirmed cases as of now. Um, I I can't see many more coming in outside of the Niagara area, other than this one in, um, in I think it's Springwater, just outside of Barrie. So, yeah, it's that one's a weird one because everything in my mind tells me that's human spread or like that vector is somebody bringing or transporting something they shouldn't. Um, so that's why my PSA is don't move wood um, with every invasive that we have out there. So, yeah. Um, but the Niagara ones, as far as I know, it's Niagara on the lake and somewhere in the Niagara Gorge. So fairly close by. Uh, to be honest, before all this occurred, I just pretty much thought that it would we'd see it through the Michigan, um, Detroit area. So that's why we're kind of blown away that this is happening like this close to well my home. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, holy cow! We have. Uh, there's a spot in Bell River, or sorry, uh, Bell Island, Michigan, that's 500 meters away from the Canadian border. So basically, if a bug really wanted to fly that far, or a spore really wanted to fly that far to Windsor, it's right there. Like you can see across the Detroit River. So that's why we're very surprised. So yeah. Wow. So the, the transmission, it's generally the spores can just be like, I guess, with uh, what is it, with mushrooms? They can just be floating in the air currents, and then it's also getting onto bugs and then being transported that way. Or is it more of a bug heavy? It's more of a bug heavy because um, the bugs will get into the like pressure pads uh, that result from the fungus. Like it's basically like a fungus bursting from the inside out, and so the bugs get in there and they'll feed on things like sap or freshly cut trees or firewood or that kind of thing um so most of the time it would be that case that it would be the transmiss or the transmission and then again people moving wood so um yeah. one of the one of the countering effects that we have is trying to establish a no pruning zone from april to november so like if joe blow tree service is like oh we got all these oaks to trim like Maybe just keep that in the wintertime because those bugs aren't active at that time and the spores aren't active. Pretty much like any, well, I don't want to say like any because I came from private industry, but like you should be pruning things when things aren't actively growing kind of thing. But obviously people, you know, it's business. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, trying to establish that and really pushing the uh, not moving wood thing are going to be the biggest challenges, so to speak. So. Yeah. Got it. So you think for prevention of spread, only pruning in the wintertime when trees yep. are not actually actively growing. And then also, no, do not spread, do not carry firewood or yep. live wood for any reason to new new areas. Yep. Yeah. Holy cow. So right now, like if you were to design like a response team, you know, that uh, takes over the province and, and you know, does a full locked COVID style lockdown to prevent this, you know, like your best uh, an, an oak lovers dream response. OK, uh, would you like basically say, OK, everyone in the Niagara region, be this is DEFCON 9, watch your oaks, don't transfer mm -hmm. firewood. If you see anything funny going on, on with your oaks, call you immediately and you will come and you will check them out <laughs> and then also i guess the the berry the berry region as well right 
Yeah, that's it's still just such a weird that's the biggest like wrench to be thrown in the whole situation, like how that occurs. So um but yeah, basically if I were to give a PSA, I'd say look at all your oak trees, especially right now, because this is the time when they're gonna start defoliating. This is the time where they're gonna start showing their first signs. Um, I've actually got a couple of calls and pictures and emails and that kind of thing so far, but most of it is just, uh, we've had weird weather this summer. So it's a lot of lookalikes where I can say, okay, is that tree by a pool? Like, is it getting hot <laughs> chlorine water vapors going up there? A lot of things look very similar, so it's very difficult. But the biggest thing I can say is if you see something, say something, um, yeah, I'm not the face of Oak Wilt, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been getting a lot of a lot more questions than I usually do about it. So yeah, definitely like reach out to someone who knows. So yeah, small break from the podcast, everybody. Please support us on Patreon, Patreon.com/WildOntario. For just a few bucks a month, you can support the general production of all of our content, and for a few more bucks a month. You can get exclusive uh, content for patrons only, like my weekly Wild Ontario in Review show that is a live Q&A show you can interact with me live. Check us out, patreon.com slash wildontario. You, would you suggest they call the Invasive Species Hotline or would they call, should they call you? I'll give everyone your contact info, like your social media channels. Um, I have a lot on my, on my plate, so I wouldn't say to call me, but uh, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency would probably be the best organization to reach out to. Um, with some of the or some of the sort of calls that I've gotten or that kind of thing or some of the trees that I've seen, we've actually submitted one and based on sort of the conditions I described and that kind of thing, it was deemed watchable but not an immediate threat. So, okay, um, yeah, I'll see a lot of trees that might have a different type of fungus like our malaria for example is a type of fungus that affects oaks and can do sort of the same sort of um the same sort of like immediate kind of kill like first season kill kind of thing and it affects the roots and you might not be able to see any of like the the fruiting bodies of fungus until much further on so there's been a lot of trees that we've marked in our gps as saying okay let's come back here at such and such a date or by this date and determine what's going on. So, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So you're saying like August is the key time where if these trees are infected, they will start yeah. to show signs. Yeah. If you're seeing, yeah. If you're seeing a tree that looks like it should in November, completely defoliated and you're seeing like leaves that are like uh, bronzed or like scorched looking, and there's a certain pattern to it as well. So if you're seeing a lot of like defoliation happen, that would probably be, something to look at so yeah there can be a lot of like i said there can be a lot of lookalikes but this would be the time you'd start to really see it in the next like two or three weeks so yeah okay yeah. that's yeah and those pictures that you're uh that you you can send over to me i will put them into the you know the video version of the podcast on youtube so people sure. can see it and then yeah. you know maybe that'll help them kind of identify you know the the, the layman out there so if you think you have your your tree has this uh the oak wilt and maybe somebody confirms one of those organizations we mentioned, or you know, an arborist such as yourself, it confirms that yeah. they do have oak wilt in a, in a uh, oak on their property. What should you do? Like, should you cut that tree down and like incinerate it as fast as possible, or what do you do? That's where we're going to have a bit of a problem because we've known 
before I say this, <laughs> I have to disclaimer it. We've known that this was going to happen for a while. And with a lot of invasive species, um, you, you want to set up like quarantine zones um, to have that material. Like you could chip the material. Um, I don't think most of it would survive the chipping process. But like I said, I'm not so familiar with sort of the management after the fact. Um, in Michigan, in some cases, they've taken logs and they've just tarped them up. So if there is any transmission of spores, it's contained. And then in other cases, because Michigan kind of has like a, a sandier sort of soil to it, it's sort of like Georgian Bay or like the Niagara, or sorry, Niagara, um, to like, yeah, Niagara Peninsula towards like Tobomori, Sabo Beach, Lake Huron. It has that same sort of sandy buffer. So people have gotten excavators and just buried the logs and that kind of thing. So, and in some cases where people do own uh, property like that, they will incinerate it, but that's where Southern Ontario is going to have a huge problem because we have these massive, in some cases, like 400 year old oaks. Like where is that biomass going to go? Like in the forest. Yeah, so wild, it, man. Yeah. What about the, the, the treatment options? Cause I think someone mentioned to me, mm -hmm. it might've been your friend that there is some kind like, what, what are the fungicide options on this? There's something in the States they use, and to be honest, like, I want to say it's called Rainbow, and it's a metacloprate, which isn't allowed in Canada. However, they, we had an issue with that with Emerald, Emerald Ash Borer, where Azeractins, I think, were used. I'm not positive on this, but they were used as like an emergency use only, and that's become what they use for injecting ash trees to kill the Emerald Ash Borer. So my hope is that you know, in a five years or however long it takes for that sort of process to, to drag out that they allow for emergency use of this. Um, and I have seen examples in the States where it just keeps the trees kind of alive. However, it doesn't kill the fungus. So in some cases with like, let's say park trees or that kind of thing, it might be similar to what treatment options is Emerald Ash Borer, but it just remains to be, it kind of remains in hands that aren't sort of ours <laughs> for the yeah, time being. Yeah. Yeah. So what about the, uh, you know, I know sometimes in, in organic farming, they use like some copper based um, fungicides, quote unquote, like non-synthetic fungicides. Um, Do those kind of things, would they have any effect on this fungus? I don't think they would because it's a different um, type um, because it would be the same sort of, uh, it's the same family as Dutch elm disease, like the type of fungus. And I think they've used similar, um, chemicals to prevent Dutch elm disease, but it's the same, I think it's the same yearly basis. I'm not 100% clear on this because I've only done it a few times, but there is that option, but it's probably highly costly and requires a lot more sort of management maintenance and that kind of thing. So I have a feeling it will be similar to what like we've already experienced with Emerald Ash Borers and giving injections where it is, it is an option, but it's how much do you want to pay for that option kind of thing. So, yeah. So that aspect is sort of still to be ironed out with uh, sort of, getting those pushes for emergency use for pesticides, last fungicide and that kind of thing. 
So it's a bit different because also you're doing systemic injections, which you're drilling a hole and getting like a spring loaded sort of punch into it, like, like a, a vaccination in a sense. So, yeah. Interesting. Uh, so maybe the best yeah. thing really for this, we'll, we'll, we'll keep abreast, I guess, you yeah. know, I'll keep in contact with you and see what the, you know, the deal is with these uh, fungicides, if there's any development on that over the next few months. And uh, uh, what, um, so it sounds like really prevention, like trying to slow down yeah. the spread of Absolutely. probably number one in your yeah. books. Pretty much. That's really all you can do. Um, prevention and immediate, well, as immediate as you can, like calling somebody asking for help and that kind of thing is probably the best thing, not moving the wood. And pretty much if you see something, say something is the best thing I can. Uh, for someone like me, my, I'm super interested in this. Obviously, this is not something I just fell into. So for me, it's more of if someone were to call me about it, sure, I might be a little annoyed, but I'd rather you call me than don't. <laughs> so you know right what I mean? At giving the proper sort of information and education with things, I'm hoping will be a pretty good solution for people to say, okay, I saw something really weird and it's not this, it's not that. And that's pretty much the best options we have currently and just slowing that spread. Like as, as quickly as we can slow that spread, and contain those sort of areas, then uh, the better off we all are. So, um, with uh, with going on too much of a tangent, Southern Ontario is well, at least where I live, some of the areas along the escarpment are about seventy percent oak. So that would be a detrimental loss to a lot of these areas, especially like uh, what are they going to call oakville? <laughs> like, there's a lot of things that. Uh, you know, a lot of that stake, especially in this area, because it's all secondary, secondary, third, like tertiary growth after, you know, logging. And now this happens. So, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. wild, man. Yeah. I just think about, I was doing some planting on one nature conservancy property out in the rice lake plains and they're trying oh, yeah. to establish all the kind of tall grass prairie stuff and like yeah. literally the keystone tree species in these kind of tall are literally, uh, they're, they're black oaks, like black yeah. oak savannas. Which, yeah. I, what I remember, I think that's in the red oak family. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, super cool trees. Other than that oh, area, yeah. those tall grass prairie pockets, uh, I have never seen that tree before in my life. Yeah. It's super yeah. cool. But like for those tall grass prairies in, in Southern Ontario, the few of them that are left, I mean, that would be absolutely, I mean, yeah. it'd be fucking terrible for everywhere. <laughs> it would be terrible for everywhere. Like you said on the escarpment, 70% yeah. of the biomass is freaking oak. But I mean, yeah. could this be kind of a, if it's been here for a hundred years and it's kind of at more of a simmer, like a slow roll, a slow boil kind of situation, could it maybe reduce like the overall biomass of oak trees in the province by maybe, you know, I'm just like, you know, scenario plan in my head. Maybe yeah. it, it, it knocks back oaks overall by about 5%, but the oaks are still chugging along. Right. Do you see that as a potential outcome? I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I hope so, but what I've seen in Michigan is not, you know, I've seen areas where you have some affected and some not kind of thing. So what I'm hoping is, I'm hoping it's on, it's just isolated pockets and that's it. But the problem kind of is when it gets onto private property, right? So where it doesn't get the same sort of attention or that kind of thing, that's, that's where a lot of the problems with invasive species sort of happen where someone just 
doesn't give a shit about freeze or that kind of thing. Like, oh, well, it's dead, whatever. Uh, just having, just being aware and having that, like, out, like, currently with the state that we have where we have about three to maybe seven trees max, I want to be optimistic and say that's pretty good. <laughs> so, based on what I've seen elsewhere. So, I'm hoping that if those have been dealt with and that kind of thing, that those are just our isolated pockets and that's it. But, you know, as the summer progresses and next summer, um, I'm sure we'll see a few more cases, but the fact that we've just had those three so far is fairly good in a sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, very, very interesting. Now, how would this, um, like we've got so much friggin' crown land in this province, right? Um, Oh yeah. If this got into the crown land, uh, would it spread any differently in like wild areas versus more domesticated areas, you know, like more suburban and urban areas? Would the spread be worse or would it be better? Like, would the trees be more resilient for some reason? That's a really good question. Actually, I never thought of that. Um, With anything that's like, uh, like I'll use the example of Dutch elm disease and emerald ash borer. So, Dutch elm disease wiped out all the, the elm trees that were all in like residential areas and that kind of thing. And a lot of those were big stately trees, similar to oak. And then ash was put in because it was cheap, it grew fast, and it just took over old pastures. It took over places that elm were. We didn't have as many invasive species like buckthorn and other junk like that to kind of fill those roles. So ash absolutely exploded to fill those holes. So a lot of those were planted, again, as street trees and that kind of thing. So now that emerald ash borer has happened, I want to say that with oak, um, it was sort of planted in a similar fashion, but sort of in those isolated pockets, like as street trees and park trees and that kind of thing, or just like they were saved as remnants in parks and stuff like that from other areas. So I feel like uh, in residential sort of more sort of, civilized areas it will be far worse where in wilder areas where it's not as sort of oak dominant or monoculture uh you won't see it spread as much it's the same way where if you go to like peterborough or those kind of places you still see a ton of ash because there's a lot more species diversity and and there's a lot more open space so that might be the uh, benefit of crown land where you do have that species diversity and that kind of thing where, you know, the next oak might be like a kilometer away or that kind of thing. So that aspect is hard to gauge. And the other thing is maybe um, I'm hoping, I don't actually know this, but I'm hoping maybe our temperature, maybe keep some of it at bay, but our temperature is very similar to like Northern United States, Michigan, where I've seen in the, uh, in the flesh interesting kind of yeah, yeah 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 like is it in the is oak wilt in the upper the upper peninsula of michigan i guess they'd still maybe have red oaks up there right yeah. oh yeah yeah but i wonder There's if it's topography. i wonder if it's uh, in the up or if it's just in southern i think um i'm pretty sure it's in both to be honest i only saw it sort of near lansing detroit in some of those areas so but yeah, it's similar topography, but I wouldn't be surprised in the Upper Peninsula if it's a lot more scattered. Uh, but then again, you do have like cottagers. It's similar to Ontario in aspect where, you know, people are moving wood and that kind of thing all the time. So yeah, it's hard to gauge. Um, I've thought about this a lot in the past couple months since the first sort of things have shown up and like 
trying to predict the trajectory of it has been a bit difficult. So yeah, but like I said, I'm very happy. It's just these pockets right now. <laughs> yeah. Thank God, man. We should just napalm those entire areas where it's been found. You know, if you had a hundred percent power as the premier of Ontario, just napalm the entire, like, you know, square kilometer to take it out. And then we yeah. wouldn't have to worry. Right. We might kill some people, but it'd be worth it. Yeah. Well, then they'd put condos up. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's very true well that's very yeah. true well, well speaking of fire i mean from everything i've heard you you, you say i mean this might be getting a, a little bit ahead of the problem but i mean if at some point there are you know starting to be numbers of these trees dying i would say fucking burn them man like if you're going to chop it down on your pro like you wouldn't want to leave you know like i i think you know some people recommend I've heard, you know, like it, dead trees, standing dead trees can actually be beneficial for a lot of wild critters, right? Like porcupines oh, yeah, sure, yeah. and birds, you know, burrow into yep. them and insects that live in them, et cetera. But I'd say this yep. is an example. If you have an infected tree, cut it yeah, down right. and burn it like in your fireplace. I mean, that oak would be great, you know, for yeah. firewood, right? And that's that's the unfortunate problem. There's oak is such a great firewood and that kind of thing and such great hard wood that that's where the don't take wood thing is going to be a real problem i think so yeah for sure okay okay yeah. well this is amazing information jeff um is there is there anything else you you think we've missed that we should think about uh, or you want people to know about uh oak wilt just more so just the not moving wood and if you don't need to prune oak trees and that kind of thing in the growing season, which you shouldn't anyway, but uh, just keeping that window of November to April, like no prune zone, unless it's like something hazardous, like something is actually broken out. Uh, trying to reiterate that message is probably the best thing. And again, with seeing, if you see something, say something, or just reach out to somebody who might know and that kind of thing. So yeah, like I don't want to get my, sort of inbox flooded but uh again <laughs> if someone does see something in my area that's like okay this is pretty serious like it's worth checking out so yeah and just reaching out to the cfia i can pass all this information on to you as well if there is anything um and just being educated on it uh, there's plenty of really great accurate information out there that is very helpful um even for me there's stuff that aspects of it that I am becoming familiar with. Um, I'm technically an oak wilt specialist, but I've only seen it a handful of times. So there's still aspects of it that might be different from what I've seen in the States. So, yeah. Fascinating, man. Okay. Excellent. And uh, in terms of people, <laughs> if you do want people reaching out to you or, or just maybe even following you um, on, on the interwebs, is there anywhere you want to direct people uh, in terms of Instagram or YouTube or anything like that? Yeah, maybe direct them to my Instagram. Like that's probably something I can uh, I can manage that. <laughs> so okay. yeah, that's just my name, Jeff Dickey. So yeah, Jeff Dickey. Okay, great. Yeah, and if you hear any more any more cases, you know, and you want me to get the word out there um, to people, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just let me know. And um, I think the final question for you, Jeff, is uh, you're an invasive species guy. If you could. Yeah exterminate annihilate liquidate one invasive species out of ontario what would it be like what do you think is the single most deleterious invasive you think mm -hmm. in, in the province probably dog strangling vine or buckthorn i can't decide which one i hate more buckthorn probably more so because it's just so pervasive and it is everywhere like absolutely everywhere 
Um, that's probably my worst because, yeah, I've got a pretty good vendetta on that. So, <laughs> really? So, do they just strangle out the um, bottom of the canopy? Like, do they grow underneath the canopy or are they like in kind of edge habitat, open meadow stuff? Like, pretty much. Uh, buckthorn is like, uh, it's like a heavy cedar. So like the female trees are just loaded with berries. Birds eat them, take the dump, spread it somewhere else. Uh, this That's going to be the next problem too. If let's say oak wilt becomes a problem, birds will eat buckthorn berries, go up into your dead oak and roost, whatever they do, and defecate in large numbers. And then you have a whole new buckthorn patch. And this is kind of the what I call the invasional meltdown, where I see dead ash and things like that, where this is happening. So you have these pockets in the forest that are just should be filled with, you know, sugar maples or beech or that kind of thing, cherries, and it's all just buckling. So it's like totally messing up the whole sort of ecosystem through one little entry point kind of thing. So. Uh, I've dealt with buckthorn pretty much my entire career. So spraying it and killing it is very satisfying. <laughs> I can imagine. Are you talking like sea buckthorn, that common ingredient in cosmetics? Um, that's bad too, but not as pervasive. Buckthorn is like a purple buried, um, like small shrub. It's the same size as sea buckthorn. I'm pretty sure it's even the same family. Sea buckthorn is a little bit pretty because it has those little jack-o'-lantern berries and people make jam out of it. That's actually quite delicious, but it's a side project. But um, but yeah, you see it pretty much in abandoned fields, uh, abandoned pastures and that kind of thing on every like forest edge, probably in Southern Ontario, it's there. So yeah, it's thorny, it's nasty, it's hard to get rid of. Um, its roots choke out things like trilliums and other native ephemerals and that kind of thing. So yeah. Nasty stuff, man. Well, correct me if I'm wrong here. If I was Premier of Ontario, the number one, the first thing I would do in office is ban all non non native plants from yeah. being sold in the province. Would you agree with that, Mr. Jeff Dickey? There's, yeah, there's definitely a few that are still sort of sold at nurseries and that kind of thing that I'm kind of surprised at, like Barbary and things like that. Um, I think it'd be good just to take that step and, you know. They don't really sell buckthorn and that kind of thing, but just having people to be sort of responsible for what they bring in or plant and that kind of thing, like with an example, like Norway maples are everybody's favorite tree, but those are destroying ravines in Toronto and that kind of thing. So yeah, just kind of being responsible and just kind of, yeah, maybe taking a hard stance would be, not, would be nice. <laughs> Yeah, it pisses me off so much because there's a number of, you know, retailers in Ontario that sell only native plants or, or bushes or trees. And you look on there and the diversity of like for your garden, like an ornamental garden, right? Whatever texture, size, color of shrub or bush or tree you could possibly want, there's a native species for it. Like you don't. Yeah. And I get it. You know, we have relationships with certain species, again, yeah. that generally come from Europe or Asia, right? And yeah. uh, like, you know, Japanese maples or Norway maples. It's like, oh, yeah. You don't need to do it, guys. You really yeah. don't need to do it. There's other shit you can use. Yeah. The, the human tendency is to want what other people don't have, right? Like, and that's the biggest problem with it, right? Like, someone will be like, oh, this is really cool. Like, my friend gave this to me from India or something. Let's see if the seed pops or that kind of thing. Like, it's a natural, like, curious thing that, you know, put it in your garden. Cool. Let it go in the ravine. Maybe not so cool. <laughs> so...
Absolutely, yeah. man. Well, thank you so much, Jeff Dickey, for being on the yeah. Wild Ontario podcast. And you know, we've got a, this little community now on uh, TikTok that's fifty-seven thousand, and Instagram that's seven thousand. People are just so thirsty for this Ontario kind of nature content. And uh, I can already see from this conversation, maybe I'm going to hit you up in a month or two if sure. you're willing yeah. to talk about. I think I I could see two more podcasts with you, my friend. One oh, entirely yeah. on invasive plant species, and then another one entirely on. What's the state of the health of Ontario forests? Because you mentioned the American chestnut, you mentioned elm, you mentioned, I believe, the hemlock woolly agalids or whatever those things are. You yep. mentioned a few interesting trees in there. And I think I think you've got, probably got some great info for everyone out there on those. So I may be hitting you up in the future, my friend. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. That'd be great. Because I mean, I can, I'm probably getting more information as the days go on about this kind of stuff. So I mean, for sure to touch base with me in like a month it might be a different story <laughs> i might be a little more pessimistic or a little more optimistic <laughs> yeah for sure yeah. For sure well thank you so much jeff dickie may the gods bless you for protecting ontario trees and plants my friend. <laughs> thank you so much to mr jeff dickie for this amazing information i'm going to post those pictures of what uh you know oak quilt looks like on oak trees on our instagram and tiktok channels so check that out there uh, please share this podcast. Please leave a five-star review if you feel so inclined and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Greatly appreciated. May the gods bless you, great people of Wild Ontario.